The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. It's a festival day. It's Christ the King Day, and I could just sit and bask in the glory of what we've done thus far. But, but I have to ask a question, and I don't mean to be personal, but do you really want a king? I, I sit before these passages, and, and I go, wow, and then I go, a king. Now, not everybody in the room was born in the United States. Not everybody in the room was raised in the United States, but this is the air that we all breathe. And, you know, this country's very existence is a rejection of kingship. Pilgrims left in part to get away from a king. We had a revolution to come under, from underneath the dominion of a king. Many people wanted George Washington to become the king, and he was like, uh, no, that's not what we're all about. Kings exact tribute. Kings demand service. Kings demand loyalty. We've seen really good kings, really bad kings. Kings expect deference, pomp, and circumstance. They expect you to dress for the occasion, to bow, and to show courtly respect. And I got to say, back in college, when I first came to like own a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, personally for myself, I sported a right on King Jesus bumper sticker on my 63 Rambler American. <laughs> right on King Jesus. But... There was no way that I would wear the robes on graduation day. I just didn't see how that, I didn't see how they went together. Well, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> There's, there has been quite a journey. And I've, I've come to the place with some difficulty to appreciate the fact that Jesus is king. He is royalty. We are about to enter a season of, of Advent anticipating his, the lowliness of his birth, but the one who came in loneliness of birth is high and mighty and exalted and deserves tribute and service and loyalty and deference and pomp and circumstance and to dress to be, for us to dress for the occasion, to bow and to show courtly respect. But it goes against the grain. It goes against the grain of us Socially, honestly, if it truth be told, it goes against the grain of the American spirit religiously as well. Harold Bloom wrote a very penetrating analysis of the spirit of religion in America in the early 1990s. And Bloom argues that the, the American religious experience, it's all about the world of self. Bloom, says, Bloom notes that the singular contribution that 
American culture, North American culture, has made to world religions is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism. The basic tenet of which is you are a God in the making. And at the time, the people who were in the ascendancy in the Southern Baptist Church were the so-called moderates who were championing a, a unique reading of a classical Baptist doctrine known as soul competency. That soul is an S-O-U-L. Soul competency, meaning there's no higher authority besides your own soul, not the church, not even the Bible. So, do you really want a king? Or do you just want somebody who is the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Well, I've come to the place where I humbly adore Jesus as king and invite you to the same posture Ours is a different kind of king. John chapter 18, verse 36. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight. Our king wins by losing. The might that establishes the kingdom of King Jesus is arms outstretched on a Roman instrument of torturous, humiliating execution. He rules not from force, but from moral authority. He comes from on high, but he rules from below. King Jesus is the washer of feet. King Jesus is the bearer of the basin and the towel. King Jesus is the shepherd king who lays down his life for the sheep. Nonetheless, he is a king. In the book of Revelation, John gives us some tantalizing phrases that I hope you can hang on to and find, um, find wonder in Jesus as your king. First, Jesus is the one who has the power to protect you. Revelation 1 chapter, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. He is the faithful witness who loves us. In the same verse, we see that he has, secondly, the authority to forgive. He is firstborn of the dead and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Here's the kind of king he is. Faithful witness who loves. He is the embodiment of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. And he comes with the authority to forgive. I try not to get too much of my theology from the internet, but <laughs> this week there was a cartoon that I thought said a lot. And it was, it was a cartoon offered in critique of vapid, 
vague, just feel-good preaching. It had three panels. In the first panel, there was an arm coming from somebody who was underwater, obviously reaching up for help. And in the same panel, there was a hand that was started from a, coming from above that was reaching down, apparently to help. Except in panel two, the, the, the drowning person's hand is still up in the air, and what the hand from above does is come down and give him a high five. <laughs> and in panel three, the hand is submerged. The one hand is submerged, and the other hand is withdrawing. Jesus didn't come down because we're doing a great job. <laughs> he didn't come down to give a high five. If he'd come down to give a high five, we'd just, we'd be lost. No, he came down to grab hold and to pull us out. He came because he loves, and he came with power and authority to pull us out of the water. And that's what he did on the cruel cross. So he has the power to protect and the heart to protect he has the, the authority to forgive. He is faithful witness who loves us. And did I give you the phrase from Revelation 1.5? He is firstborn of the dead and freed us from our sins by his blood. And third, as king, he has the right to command. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 also says he is the ruler of the kings of the earth and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. Now, I could say a lot about what his kingship means for my wealth and yours, my status and yours, my education and yours, my political, familial, and social loyalties, and your political, familial, and social loyalties. He owns it all. He has the right to call the shots. And it would behoove us all to adopt a posture of submission and loving obedience across the gamut. But today, I want to talk about just simply one area, one simple application. And it has to do with telling others that Jesus is king. The good news, evangelism. From the Bible's point of view, you and I, as those who belong to his kingdom, priests unto our God, we have the authority, indeed, friends, we have the responsibility to announce to the world that there is a king who has a claim on each and every person on this planet. He rules with the authority to forgive. And not just the authority, but the heart to forgive. And his way to get that word out is through you and me. In Paul's letters, he puts it in terms of our having an ambassadorial calling. A calling to announce to our friends, our family, and our neighbors that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself having become in Jesus 
unrighteous, Jesus having become unrighteousness for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Not only pulled out of the water, but taking on his character, taking on his mess, taking his message to the ends of the earth and to our neighbor next door. And through us, King Jesus invites everyone, everyone to bow the knee now in joy, humility, and love, lest later upon his return they are forced to submit in terror, dejection, and regret. Now, our presiding bishop, uh, you, it may be difficult for you to talk about Jesus. It's not difficult for our presiding bishop, Michael Curry. And if you saw the royal wedding this summer, you know what I'm talking about. The presiding bishop is going to be here in Central Florida the 1st of February. He'll be actually preaching here uh, the first Sunday of the month. That's February 3rd, I believe. He'll be here at 1015. But the Friday night before February 1st, the presiding bishop will be at First Baptist Church in Orlando doing a Baptist-style revival. Say yes to Jesus. And we're asking, we're asking all the Episcopal churches and all the Episcopals and all the Episcopal churches to pretend for one night that they're Baptists. Like, right now, start praying for friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers that you could actually invite to go hear the guy who lit it up this summer talking about Jesus in England. He's going to be right here in Orlando. And take your, take your friend, and then you can have the follow-up conversation. Because I tell you what, Bishop Curry is going to tell people about King Jesus and his glorious, sovereign, loving reign. And right now, just start praying for who you, for who it is that you could invite. And then I would encourage you to talk about Jesus. And if you do, if that's really awkward, I don't have a formula, but I have some words that you could take into your soul that you might find phrases coming when you need them. I, I commend to you, in the strongest terms possible, the Eucharistic prayers of both Rite 1 and Rite 2. Borrow, borrow a prayer book if you don't have one. Get thyself to the bookstore and get a little one. And just carry it around and spend some time in the 330s and the 360s and 70s and bask in the prayers that we pray when we go before the Lord and ask him to bless the bread and the wine. In Rite 1, Prayer 1, you will find words that help you articulate what it is for our Lord to have given himself as a full perfect and sufficient sacrifice, an oblation. Now, that's a word you might have to explain to your friend. Actually, you might have to look it up. I did. Uh, 
oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world and insert name. You can go to prayer D around page 372 where we find that in his, in his earthly life, Jesus brought good news to the poor, freedom to prisoners, joy to the sorrowful, then flip back to, to around 361, to prayer A, page 362 maybe, where he stretched out his arms upon the cross and then flip a few pages over into the late 360s to prayer B where the prayer contemplates the wonder of Jesus coming to deliver us from evil, making us worthy to stand before God, bringing us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. A full and perfect sacrifice, good news for the poor, freedom to prisoners, joy to the sorrowful by stretching out his arms on the cross to deliver us from evil and make us worthy to stand before God, bringing us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life, and then back to right one, prayer two, offering ourselves offering and presenting ourselves unto thee, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. It's as simple as that. It's praying for your friends, praying for the door to open, and then praying to be able to articulate the prayers that are at the heart of our worship. Glory to Jesus the King, for firstborn of all creation, head of the church, author of our salvation. Amen.